0: is and what it looks like. Psychosomatic is now a common term in my home, but I know it's probably not a common term in everybody's home. <laughs> psychosomatic is when you have something psychological that's impacting you physically. And I've ex- I've just described probably one of the most significant or like most extreme versions. Have you ever had a stiff neck because you were anxious? That's psychosomatic you have a physical symptom because of something psychological that's happening to you. When you have stress, it produces a hormone called cortisol. It flows through your system. It's great for you for a short period of time, but over a long period of time, it's basically poison. And it hurts you and causes all kinds of physical problems. Natasha, this was kind of a funny story I have permission to tell. She was... I always have to get permission. So she had an exam the next day. And... She was like, no, Cyrus, I'm fine. I'm not stressed at all. I'm okay. Really, I'm okay. And she woke up the next morning, early for the exam, and she was like, I'm okay, Cyrus, but I can't move my neck. Being in the bathroom with her, and we had like a hot water bath going, and we had, what do we all have? We had the lights dimmed, and then we, I think we even had... Um, like, aromatherapy going on. She couldn't move her neck, and she needed to. It was totally psychosomatic. I remember the first time, I don't remember the details, but I remember the first time I used this word with her, psychosomatic. And I know this is a very offensive word, but I knew it again when I talked to her about it. Are you sure this isn't (laughs) psychosomatic? I don't remember what we were talking about. And it ended up being a very long discussion after that. <laughs> but then she realized that I was okay with being psychosomatic too sometimes. And now we just are like, am I psychosomatic? I remember my most, I won't tell you what the condition was, but I was at the doctor's office, it's not catchy. And I was talking about <laughs> my condition. And I remember just going back and forth with him. And he was, it was kind of strange probably for most doctor visits, because like maybe it was psychosomatic. And he's like, maybe it is. And we were just kind of going back and forth about this, Whatever, this thing. When you say something psychosomatic, what people often hear is it's in your head. It's not real. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, not, it is in your head, but it is real. This person really couldn't walk. Your neck is really stiff and hurts, and you're not faking it. It's just contributed to by something psychological. And why wouldn't, why can't that happen? Your brain is made of nerves. People are fine with having nerve problems in their arm, but when you say it's in your head, and you have a nerve problem up there, they get offended. I'm sure you wouldn't get offended, but people do. (laughs) I want to talk about motivation. I want to start a series on it. I'm hoping that this time I'll actually follow through with the series. Trying to get more organized. And I want to talk about different kinds of motivation. And God is not simple when it comes to motivating. One of his biggest goals in our existence is to motivate us, is to make us active and not passive. And he uses almost every strategy and probably some strategies I haven't identified, but he uses almost every strategy I can think of. Rewards, he uses discipline, he uses curiosity and mystery. He creates a vision for people to follow. He works on his attachment with us in his relationship and fosters it over time. And he leaves us being weak and needing him. It's amazing how many tools he actually uses in order for us to become active in our relationship with him. But today I'm going to talk about what do you want? if you're going to be motivated to do something, it probably makes sense for you to want to do it. And it comes back to our story, did this man want to walk? When I've talked about motivation with people, I've realized that motivation, or the question, what do you want, wanting something, is not black and white, it's a scale. I think our default knee-jerk reaction is to feel like, do you want it, yes? Do you not want it, no? But I think it's actually, there's a lot of gray in the middle of how much you want something. How much do you want it? I mean, I think you can realize it pretty quickly if I said, do you want that? And you say, yes, and I say, really? And then all of a sudden, hmm, how much do I want that? So there's a scale. I run into the scale often when I run into lying in my, in my sessions. Somebody comes in, there's a couple. Honesty is a very high priority in our culture. We have some morals that aren't so good, but, li- but lying is a big one for couples. If you say, what do you want in a partner, honesty is often very high on the list. People want honesty in our Western society. That's not global, but in our Western society, honesty is pretty high. So when couples come in and one partner has lied, it's a big deal. Not that it shouldn't be, it just is, and it's surprisingly so. For people who you know, aren't from a Christian background or don't follow that, it's still a really big deal. Even what we would might consider small lies can be a really big deal for couples. And they say, oh, you've lied. You are, you're a liar. You're dishonest. You don't value honesty. And that might be true and maybe they don't value it, but I would argue that maybe they don't value it as much as you do and make it that and and decide. I could make this a whole sermon on lying. That's pretty tricky. I don't want to get into it too much. But just to give you an example, if I was to go to Stony Mountain Prison and talk to a thief, they might say, I'm honest. I value honesty very highly. Well, why did you steal? Well, in that, if, they were, if I was to put the words in their mouth, they might not say it quite this way. In that moment, I valued what I was taking just a little bit more than honesty. But I really do value honesty. I wanna, and I might even consider myself to be an honest person. So if you came home, or your partner came home and said, yeah, my job's fine, and they've been fired. My partner's a liar. That might be true, technically true. They value honesty, but not as much as something else. But what else did they value in that moment? Boy, it sounds like I'm arguing for lying. I'm just trying to make a point. But it's they are... And when we kind of analyze it, often they value the other person more. Maybe it's not legitimate or maybe it's not right, but I didn't want to see my partner suffer. They have an anxiety disorder. I hate watching them cry. If I lost my job, they would have real problems. And I value them more than I valued honesty in that moment. Maybe they should have valued honesty, but it paints a bit of a different picture. What do you want? I want to be honest, but I also want my partner to be okay. So the question changes a little bit from what do you want, which I think is a great question. Jesus asked that question. To what do you want most? Or what do you want in comparison to other things? If you looked at the Bible and you wanted an example of this, you could talk about the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, what can I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the commands. And he says, i followed the commands since I was young. And Jesus doesn't argue, he says, sure. And then he says, what if you sell everything? I want you to sell everything. Give it up and follow me. And then all of a sudden, was, was he lying when he said he wanted eternal life? I don't think he was. If I went onto the street and I said, do you want to go to heaven? I think almost everybody would say yes. But the question isn't, do you want to go to heaven? That's not the question you're asked. The question is, do you want it most? The rich young ruler wanted something else more. When, he, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. So again, we have a rich run young ruler, and I don't think he went into that interaction knowing that he wanted something more than he wanted eternal life. I don't think he was aware of it. I don't think he went in saying, I hope Jesus doesn't figure it out that I really like my stuff more than I like eternal life. And that is scary. I find that terrifying. I mean, When you imagine a rich, young ruler, you imagine somebody who knows what's going on. I mean, maybe he didn't, but this was a capable person, able to follow rules, able to rule, able to gain wealth, and he wasn't aware of himself. That's terrifying to me. Most people are not really aware of what they want. Not really. Again, if we go back to our story of Zachary, I think he would have said he wants to walk. I don't think he was fully aware of everything else that he wanted. I'll tell you a story from John 5. I'll I'll summarize it. There was a man by a pool... Most of you probably kind of know what I'm talking about now. There was a man, a lame man by the pool. Now, I don't want to paint the picture that this lame man is like Zachary. Zachary, there was nothing physically wrong with him. And I'm not suggesting that this lame man by the pool had nothing physically wrong with him. In fact, let's just add to the story a little bit. This is not in the Bible. But let's just say he was, we know he, had, he was lame. He was probably had problems with his legs. Let's just say he was stepped on by a camel. It's very clear. He had broken legs. They didn't heal properly. They were bent. Does that mean that there's not something psychosomatic going on? Unfortunately, no. But let's just say it had a clear physical cause. And he's sitting by a pool, or laying down by a pool, with lots of other people, by a pool that's known to bring healing. And Jesus asks him a question, which seems... Silly to me. Do you want to be made well? What do you want? It's kind of like going up to somebody in a wheelchair and saying, What do you want? He goes up to a man who's lying there 38 years, laying by a pool to get healing with lots, probably, of other people who are not well, and he says, What do you want? do you want to be healed and he comes up with an answer the sick man answered him are we okay the sound okay yeah okay sick man answered sir do you want me to put this back a bit yeah oh, help a little is that better is that better That's better? Okay. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Can't get into the pool. Can't get into the pool. It's funny, I heard a preacher talking about this, and he had an interesting theory. He said, Jesus was sometimes called the angel of the Lord. And tradition says that this pool started stirring around the time when Jesus was born. And it happened around the festivals, when Jesus was in town. Maybe Jesus as a toddler kind of went to the pool and stirred it up a little bit. Anyway, and here Jesus is again, by the pool, at a festival. Kind of wonder, maybe he's the angel. And Jesus tells him, rise up, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man is well took up his bed and walked. It was on the Sabbath, so the Jews come up to him and see him carrying his bed and gets him into trouble. Why are you carrying this bed? And he gives another excuse. This is excuse number two. wasn't me. The man who healed me did this to me, told me to carry my bed. And they say, who is he? And he says, I don't know. Then Jesus comes up to him and says, Oh, good, I see you're walking. It worked. Didn't quite say it that way. <laughs> see, you have been made well, he says. And then he says, Sin no more, lest a worse thing comes upon you. And then this man, so he said, Just told not to sin. I'm not saying this is exactly a sin, but he goes up immediately. The next line is that he goes to the Jews and Tells the Jews, almost like the word is almost announces to the Jews, it was Jesus. And then it says Jesus was persecuted more because of that. Sin no more. So we've got a few strikes against this guy. Excuse number one. Ah, excuse number two. Some sin in his life that we know about, we don't know exactly what it is. And he ratted out Jesus. He knew that the Jews didn't like this. He knew, he knows. He's, he's not a young man. He knows what's going on. And he tells them about Jesus almost immediately. Now, you might say, hey, this is pretty vague. And I think it's pretty vague, too. I don't want to get too hard on him. But there's a story in John 9, four chapters later, that has almost the identical story, and it's so different. It's a blind man. It's one difference. Jesus specifically says he has no sin in his life. He's sick because I'm going to make him well and bring glory to God. So we've got another man, blind since birth, even longer, no sin in his life, no excuses. He gets in trouble by the Jews, and he actually starts making fun of the Jews. This blind man does. They keep asking him, how did he heal you? And he says, it's funny. Do you want to become his disciples? You keep asking me how he did it. He starts making fun of them. They ask him, who was he? He must be a prophet. They ask him again, and he says, well, nobody's ever healed anybody before. He must be from God. And the Jews throw him out. And then he goes to Jesus And he starts to worship him. I'm abbreviating a little, but he starts to worship Jesus. Tell me who this man is. And Jesus says, it's me. I'm God, basically. And he says, I will worship you. It's a very different story from the other lame man. Instead of ratting out Jesus, he gets in trouble with the Jews and goes and worships Jesus. And then Jesus says, the blind will see. That's why I've come. And he's not talking about his eyes. The real healing wasn't his eyes. And that's what he was hoping, I believe, for the lame man was that it wasn't just gonna heal his legs. You missed it. He missed it. He went and ratted out Jesus rather than worshiping him. I'm gonna get to heaven, the lame man's gonna be like you misinterpreted. It. it was vague and I'm okay. And I'm I'm sorry, but it sounds this way. It sounds this way to me. Preachers don't like the lame man, they really hard on him. I have a lot of sympathy for him. 38 years, that's a long time. By a pool, really wants to be healed. I believe that. I believe that he really wanted to be healed. If he got healed, he'd probably be in a lot of trouble. He's an older guy. He's been laying by a pool for a very long time. He doesn't know how to make a living. He's got other motivations. Does he really want to be healed? He's been relying on this system for a very long time. And then he's going to get in trouble with the system for Jesus? Maybe I'll just go tell them who Jesus was. I have to keep the system liking me. I've been relying on it for 38 years. I don't want to be cast out of the temple. That's my living. He wanted more than one thing. I believe that it was his anxiety about taking a risk on Jesus that kept him from his true healing. So we could want more than one thing. We can want things, but we can like other things or want other things even more. There's another reason why it's hard to know what you want. Self-awareness is painful. It's so painful. Self-awareness is saying, this is who I want to be, and this is who I am. That is self-awareness, and that gap is painful. I don't want to look at that. I just want to stay here. I don't want to realize who I really am. I don't want to realize how I'm not measuring up. There are a number of things that we do when we're in a situation where you want to be here and you really are here.